Just a heads up that today's guest, Philippa Sue, will star in a virtual concert with Rowan University on April 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern. The proceeds will benefit the New Jersey Arts and Culture Recovery. For tickets and more, visit go.rowan.edu slash Philippa Sue. Hi, everyone. I'm Celia Keenan-Bolger, and this is Sunday Pancakes, a podcast to nourish your head and heart any day of the week. How are we all doing? I feel like for the first time in so long, I have started to feel hopeful. I think some of that has to do with the weather. Some of it has to do with a lot of people I know getting vaccinated. And then inside of all of that, we have experienced some serious violence inside of our country. And so I just hope everybody is doing what they can to take care of themselves. I also want to mention that in the conversation this week, we reference being 11 months into the pandemic. And obviously, we're a little outside of a year of that. And we recorded this conversation in March. So I just wanted to give some context for our timing on all of this. I thought I would start off by um, telling you a little story about the time after my son was born and how much I've been thinking about it in relationship to this time that we're living through right now. Um, when I was pregnant, I remember I had all of this energy tracking my body and what was happening inside of it and what size fruit my baby was at any particular moment and making a plan for labor and delivery. And then I had the baby and I realized that I did not really have very many systems in place for after he was born. And this has made me think about the beginning of the pandemic when I was feeling sort of organized and I had these structures in place that um, gave purpose to my day. And then after like two months, I was like, I do not have any more tools to keep getting through this. And it strikes me that in both pregnancy and the pandemic, I put all of this energy into making it through a certain amount of time, but that I didn't really have a plan for what to do when that time was up and I had to keep living inside of this new life. And it occurs to me that there was a moment during both of these experiences where I started to realize that I had to create a life inside of the one I had instead of longing for the old one. I remember after William was born, because I was missing my friends so much, John and I started hosting these things called Manchego Sunday, where we would invite a bunch of friends over and eat cheese and drink wine and just talk and catch up. And William would sit in his high chair and eat an avocado or a sweet potato and just stare at all of these grownups laughing and sharing and connecting. And obviously... There are no Manchego Sundays right now. <laughs> I can't wait for them to come back. But I do think inside of this last year, sitting down with my husband and my son for dinner every night has sort of highlighted the fact that this moment is not a pause in my life, that it is my life. And once I was able to sort of wrap my head around that, things got so much easier I'm really excited to share this conversation with my guest this week because I have wondered how she's been able to navigate these first huge years of her career. And it turns out that it has 
a lot to do with the investment and connection inside of her personal life. I am so happy to welcome Philippa Sue. She is best known for starring in the Broadway musical and recent film of Hamilton. She was nominated for a Tony Award for her performance as Eliza Hamilton on Broadway. She starred in the off-Broadway production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, where I was completely blown away by her spirit and depth and glorious soprano. She's also appeared on Broadway in Amelie and The Parisian Woman, and my five-year-old really loved her in Over the Moon, which is a Netflix movie that came out this year. She's appeared on film in the Broken Hearts Gallery here and now, and she's going to be in the upcoming miniseries Dope Sick. I first met Pippa in 2012 when I was hosting a gala for Ars Nova, which is an off-Broadway theater, and the gala was happening uh inside of this tent where Natasha Pierre was performing. And I needed a place to sort of get ready and get dressed and drop my stuff. And I remember the artistic director, Jason Egan, saying, oh, yeah, you can just get ready in Pippa, at Pippa Station. And I thought, that's like not – if it was me, it wouldn't be my favorite thing for someone else to just take over that space. And he was like, no, 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 she she won't care. And sure enough, when I met her, she was like, please, it's absolutely no problem and I was so struck by how excited she seemed to be there. I would just say that in general, that has been my experience of her, that she is so grounded and seems to be able to hold a lot of gratitude while also maintaining this strong sense of self. So I am really excited to talk to her about how she is doing all of that. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Celia. Oh my gosh, thank you for that beautiful intro. Come I'm on. Like tearing up, thinking about that tent. <laughs> how much I. Oh my gosh. How many things happened in that tent? How have you been doing in these last 11 months? Um, I've been doing well. It, I was thinking a lot about, you know, how we're about to, we were about to record this today and, you know, what would I say about where I am at today? And like the concept of time kept coming up in my brain. Mm. Like, you know, never have I lived in a moment in my life where like time really actually felt um, slow and vast and that I had control over how I perceived time. That sometimes like, you know, in the before, I felt like time was happening to me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I was on a two month hiatus from working, time felt so slow. But if I, you know, filled that with like lots of things, time felt really fast. But um, if I had this job going and then something else came up, like time all of a sudden became, it felt like time was happening to me. Yes. And now I really feel like I am conducting and carving out what time means to me. So there are days when I'm like, this day is going to be fast. And I it is fast because I dictate how fast it's going to be and how productive it's going to be. And then there are days when I'm like, well, this day is going to be slow. And it's like the <laughs> longest day I've ever had. But it's, <laughs> But it's like my choosing because, you know like we're talking about, like, I'm the only person aside from, you know, my husband, but like, 
I'm the only person I come in contact with, to with that like is responsible for like how my time is. So I guess maybe that's been like the big revelation. And, and also I've been having a lot of conversations with people about creativity during this time. And mm. I don't think I'm one of those people that felt like it was flourishing with creativity <laughs> because I had time to do stuff. You know, I felt like, I, I guess I felt like this past year was not a time for me exploring my creativity as much as it was just about exploring the world that we're living in mm-hmm. and, you know, the realities that we're facing and politics and our own communities. And, you know, I, I just felt like the energy, the creative energy that I had was really like m- turned into like listening ears on. Uh-huh. I think what you said about time is so wise because especially when things are very busy, you feel like you can't get off the train, that you're just like, this is my life and this is, you know, it won't be forever, but in this moment I have to just stay on the train and and keep going. And then when things, I at least I found myself, like when things would slow down, I was not able to really sit in it mm-hmm. because I just wasn't, like my wiring was like not quite there. Yeah, And I think something that is changing a little bit in me and that I'm so interested to see like how it shows up on the other side once we've returned to something that resembles uh I guess a new kind of normal but is <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. whatever that's gonna be but I wonder I think that I've undervalued sort of the receiving part of my life that it's like always output mm-hmm. and then I think sometimes I've missed what I was meant to get during the times when there was no output and that I'm realizing (laughs) it hasn't always been very comfortable, Yeah. but that in this time that I'm like, oh, there are some messages and some ideas that have always been there, but that I was just deciding I'm not really going to engage with that right now because it either doesn't make me feel that good or... I just don't really want to think about that. And that this has definitely been a time to turn some of those things over. Sure. Yeah, to feel ownership over what the universe throws at you. Because we never know. (laughs) We never know, obviously. We've really seen that exemplified the past year. But yeah, to feel like, why do I need, why do I need the entire world to stop? to give mm-hmm. myself permission to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, why Why am I so, like, jazzed about the fact that everything is, like, nobody's going anywhere, nobody's doing anything, and my sense of, like, FOMO has completely gone away. Yeah, I wonder if our ability to relax diminishes because we get so used to working. And I think especially if you start working right out of college, it makes sense that it might be difficult to be still. Will you... Talk about what it was like to have all of that success and attention at a young age. And is your relationship to that attention changing as you get older? The cast of Natasha Pierre was just such a well-rounded, interesting group of people. And especially, you know, uh, Amber Gray and Britton Ashford and and Rachel and, you know, all these incredible women that I got to be surrounded by who were definitely collaborators and my contemporaries, but we're also 
very knowledgeable of the world at large that I just knew that I didn't have. So I felt like I, I went into that experience feeling almost like it was an extension of my education because it was so mm. close to having left school. So my brain was still in like, you know, learning mode. Um, and I think that was really helpful because it made all of the things that were intense and joyful and exciting, but also like nerve wracking about that experience, more of a learning opportunity as opposed to, you know, this is going to make or break the rest of my life. You know, I just mm. kept going through it as if it was, you know, an extension of everything that I just learned the past four years. And I'm so grateful that that group of people is where I landed right out of coming from a very tight knit group of people in school. It just felt so nurturing and um, we really took care of each other. That feels like such an important, I feel like when you have a first experience out of school that is really positive and where you sort of see like, oh, this is how it can be, it imprints on you. And then you're like, well, I'm going to carry that into the next experiences and sort of try to either create a dynamic that's similar or encourage the people around me to to behave in that way. And I think particularly when you have that experience when you're young, it's like very impactful. I, um, in that time with Natasha Pierre, there was all of this joy and success and celebration. And I felt like I was in such a great group of people, but I was very aware of what the flip side could be. And I think my challenge in that moment, even though there was all the success and celebration and I felt like I felt like I had this acknowledgement for all of the hard work that I was doing and that was very satisfying. I knew that there was going to be a time where that was not going to be so. Um, and so I took it in as much as possible. I tried to be as present as possible. I tried not to have too many expectations. But at the same time, you know, my struggle at that moment was just being like, okay, when is this all going to end and when is it going to be terrible? Because I know <laughs> that this is a really hard business and I've heard stories and I've I've seen friends and I've seen, you know, alumni of the school and their paths. So it's like I had such an awareness of what the other side could be and I really just wanted to live in the moment, but I I was a little afraid. I was like scared that, you know, this would all come to an end and where would I be then and how would I handle it, you know? Right. I think just having a sense to be to feel gratitude inside of that experience is so, um, it just says a lot about you because I think it would, it could be very easy to get your first job out of college in a big show where you are, you know, essentially carrying most of it and be kind of petrified or, or filled with self-doubt and, or nerves or, you know, all, any number of things. And it just, seems like that is not something that you really are coming up against generally. Is that true? Mm. No, I think I have lots of nerves and thoughts and feelings. I think it just doesn't manifest in the room because, and this is maybe a flaw or something that I just have to deal with on my own, but it's, I I don't want to like bring that into the room. I'd rather like be productive and work and find joy and, and have fun And then all of those sort of very complicated feelings usually come out with, you know, my friends and people that I really love and, Mm. you know, 
places where I feel safe work and have all of those very deep, <laughs> tumultuous feelings. Of course. <laughs> and because are those feelings, like what are those feelings? Doubt, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. feeling like, you know, what was I really meant to do? And am I just doing this because I'm good at it? Like real and, and going even as far as like, should I even be doing this job? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like it's so, it's so, um, it's like a train, like you're on the train and you're excited to be on it, but then you're like, oh, but there is a way off. But like, do I get off? And if I get off, can I get back up? Like all of these like very large existential questions that I think, you know, I, I never want to like bring out, you know, when we're working and I'm, I'm like in a room and I'm rehearsing something like I want to save that for later because ultimately I know that this job is so fun. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so even though I have complicated feelings about it or myself within it, um, I ultimately am just like in for a really good time. So uh-huh. that's like sort of the barometer of how I manage like when to have certain feelings and when to care about something, when not to care about something. It's like, well, am I having fun is the question <laughs> first. Right. And then I can go from there. Do you feel like those feelings of insecurity have changed over time or are you sort of returning to the same (laughs) questions? Always the same questions. It's always the same and the same feelings and the the same sort of like, you know, I think I think I personally have a, a deep desire to be liked by everyone. Me too, Peppa. I mean, I think then going into Hamilton was pretty much right after Natasha Pierre, which was um, to uh, like an understatement to say that it was a big experience. I feel like I remember there was a like a brunch that you and Steve hosted, and it was pretty. You were like pretty deep into the run, and um, and you were just tired like what happens after you've done a show off Broadway and then on Broadway and you're playing Eliza who is sort of the heart and emotional center of the piece and I remember you saying like I'm I'm so grateful I'm so grateful to be there I don't you know I really have nothing to complain about but I am feeling a little bit overwhelmed and I I could relate to that feeling so deeply. And I just wonder what you were, I mean, did you feel like you didn't have systems in place to sort of help you navigate that that you do now? Or what were you able to do inside of that time when you're just like, all I should be feeling is gratitude. And instead, I'm also feeling other feelings. Well, I think I was, well, I was very young. I was like 24. (laughs) When I started working art like 23 kind of when I started working on Hamilton and so I was really coming up to a place in my life where like yes my aspirations and my dreams and my my um, creative integrity and my career and my work life was really important to me I had been building up to this for years and here is like this huge moment of success and then realizing like wow like I haven't really had a lot of time in my life for like life stuff. (laughs) Uh Um, And, 
you know, that was a really big year for life stuff because I met my husband. Also, that was the same year that my parents got divorced. So, like, it was a huge year of a lot of big changes personally in my life, um, as well as this huge career shift. So I think, you know, it's not it's not sustainable, the sort of, like, you know, go for your dreams and, like, keep working until, like, you fall down. <laughs> like, it's literally, <laughs> like, you're, you're, like, on, like I said, on this train. You're just, like, great, I'm working towards this thing. I went to acting school. I'm living in New York. Like, I'm building and building and building. And then you just reach a certain point where you're, like, wow, like, I just – I need to figure out like what it means to like sustain this because no Mm. one taught me that. But that was like the year where I really had to learn all of that. And yeah, I think at that moment during that brunch that you mentioned, like I remember that feeling of just being so excited to be in it, but aware that like my life needed a little bit of replenishing. And Mm. so I tried to find ways to do that. And luckily I had such a wonderful fiance who is now my husband, Steve at the time to really just be like, look, like life is important. Like, you know, he was a great sounding board. He, he really wanted me to have a full, beautiful experience, but at the same time brought his knowledge and his experience to my aid when I needed it. And it was such a beautiful source of support to have at that time. And, and, you know, he was a huge part of how I got through that year and how I managed everything in that time. Mm, It makes me think that it's so helpful to have people who verify or validate your experience because I think sometimes, I don't know, I'm wired in a way that's that's like, you should be, why are you so tired? Or like, why is this hard for you? And then to have somebody that you love say, I see the ways in which you are working and you have every right to be tired. And that, I'm like really working on being able to do that for myself, but I Mm. do think having like friends and your partner say like, I am also experiencing this with you and I can see, I I can see that this is hard. And I think that's one of the ways and that having a partner who is, you know, who has some context for what you're going through can be really, really helpful. Yes, that community. And I even remember going to your apartments like a couple Sundays, you know, doing the the wine and the cheese and just feeling like Manchego Sunday (laughs) and just thinking like, wow, like this is this is so necessary. And, and even now, you know, during the time that we're living in now, I'm like, God, it's so necessary to just be able to gather with your friends and sit around a table, you know, Mm -hmm. and just have all of your feelings, but at the same time, be around other people so you can listen to what they're going through and get your own perspective and like, you know, put, put your own feelings and, and struggles like on pause for a little bit. So you can just like open yourself up to someone else and, something that's not that. It was just so, I'm so grateful that you guys did that. It was just so fun and, and replenishing. I mean, it was totally selfish. And I feel like one <laughs> of the things, because it like feeds me yeah. so much. And I think something that I have really learned in the last 11 months is that I understand myself better in relationship to other people. Mm-hmm. That, like, if I am just experiencing things 
sort of on my own without not only like my friends input, but even just like randos on the street or on the subway, like (laughs) just centering myself in an experience that is in relationship to others, that when that's taken away, I'm like way more of a head case than (laughs) I ever thought I was because I am so aware of other people and my effect on other people and wanting to be liked by other people that I'm I'm always sort of checking in with what everybody else is doing. And I think as I've gotten older, I've actually been able to be healthier in the like, I'm not doing all of the compare and despair, but that I'm just like able to center myself through other people's experience. And these this last year, having that taken away, I just feel like a little island trying to like mm. grab on to anything or any any other person's experience other than my own. I think that it's so amazing also what happens when we when you know the version of yourself or the the public facing side of yourself that has always been a performer like that maybe, you know, shut down for a little bit, but I feel like then you used your powers for good in another public facing way, which was that you were super engaged with the election and with um with trying to motivate and 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 organize particularly young voters. Yeah. Will you just talk what that about like how that sort of found its way through you and also what impact it kind of had on you. Right. Well, it it became very clear as soon as we understood that Hamilton was going to come out in the summer and as soon as this widespread worldwide movement for racial justice um, exploded in around May and right before we were going to um, launch the film – we all as a cast collectively communicated with each other that we agreed like to take <laughs> to take Hamilton the musical at its own words this is not um a moment it's a movement and we really wanted to use the fact that this beautiful piece of art that we had created and put all of our blood sweat and tears into um was being now shared with the world and how are we going to activate it in a way that felt like we could um, engage with what was happening in the world and be a a voice of strength and unity in it. Um, And, you know, we, we raised a lot of money. We had a lot of great discussions. I feel like we did a great job um, trying to use the platform for good in those moments. And then that of course translated into the fall when, the election was revving up and and we were like, look, guys, like we have so much influence. And I have to credit, you know, Jeffrey, our producer and Lynn and, and Thomas Kale and, um, you know, the whole team, because they all agreed. They were like, there's a lot of influence here. And so specifically with Hamilton, not only is this piece about our country and what it <laughs> means to be. A, per, a modern person living in this country with the history that it has, but also our core audience, they were all like now, like they're like graduating college now. 
So when they saw Hamilton and it first came out and they were really excited about it and they bought the cast album, maybe they were in high school and they couldn't vote yet. And now Hamilton is coming out on Disney Plus and like these mm. are all people who are of age to vote. Um, so we were very aware of that demographic and, and that that was our community. And, and, you know, we all knew how we felt about getting out the vote. <laughs> so why not share that with everybody who wants to know what we're thinking anyway, you know? Yeah. And, and we were super excited to engage with, with all of the young people that we did. And, and, um, it just felt, it just felt like not just the right time and place, but like we were meant to be doing that in that time. Like that was like a perfect moment in time where what we did back then on the stage could have as much or more impact now that it was out of our hands and, you know, accessible to everybody in the world. It just felt like, yeah, this makes sense. Mm. And yeah, in some ways it's like that moment actually met the movement. Did you grow up in a, with like a political family? Um, I want to say no. I think we were a family of morals and integrity. And um, I, I think like there was an expectation there of like, how, how will you contribute to society? Mm-hmm. That that was like a question. Not exactly in those words, but it was it was posed many times like, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Sure, that was a question that was asked. But then it was also like, and how are you going to get there? What are you going to do to make sure that that happens? You know, those conversations happened a lot. And I think that because my father is a doctor and my mom, she spent a lot of her life working in the theater. So I had this perception of like, okay, like, there's a lot of different routes that you can go in order to contribute to society. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So what whatever makes you happiest and whatever you feel like you can do well, go for that first <laughs> and then see, see where you end up. Um, but I don't think we were very political. I don't, I don't really think we were talking a lot about, you know, what was happening overseas and um, – I certainly think because I come from a multi-racial household mm-hmm. that we already had conversations that were inherently political because, you know, there was this awareness that um, I had two aspects of my identity that I was constantly looking at and analyzing and, and two different kinds of families that I was spending my Christmases and holidays with that were very, very different from each other, but had similarities. How so? How are they different? Well, my dad's family, you know, my dad's, uh, he and his sisters, they are first generation. So his parents came um, from China back in the 40s, late 40s, and met in the 50s. And, um, you know, I have a very large extended Chinese family and we would spend a lot of time with them. But, you know, it's very different than being with my mom's family from southern Illinois, which is an all-white family living in a very small town, coming from a small town of 600 people, and going down, visiting them, driving down, you know, downstate and visiting them and spending summers, like, fishing and, you know, swinging in in the the hayloft in the barn and Mm -hmm. feeding cows, you know, like, really, like, (laughs) truly, like, people who, like, spent their lives, like, working and and being outside and, and working the land and, 
um, getting to know that part of my family as well. And so I guess for myself, I, I would just put it together in my brain like, oh, different people live in different ways. And, and you know, what did it mean for my grandparents to come here? Um, that was already a political conversation in and of itself um, because they were f- fleeing from China at the time um, to, to seek, you know, a, a better life or to seek an education in America. And so that's sort of how we got into our politics really was through like the mm-hmm. genealogy of our family. That makes me think that part of your superpower as a performer is so rooted in that, that mm. what you're, you seem, or what I was so struck by when I saw you in, Nat- in Natasha Pierre, I was like, she is not, she is bringing a depth of experience at the age of 22 to this role that I don't understand how she's doing it. But it strikes me now that, of course, when you move through the world for many, many years, feeling both like a sense of belonging and also like always on the outside, I think particularly in biracial households, that feels more true than not mm. that that you're 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 like always there's always a part of you that belongs but there's also a little part of you that's like I'm going to be on the outside of this and that I wonder how that or if that is what translates to all of us who are watching you as this like very unique and um singular kind of performance that you're able to to tap into mm. That's very interesting that you say that because I think that's true. I think I really, what really resonated with me was this idea of always being a part of something but always not. And that feeling of, I think it's like such a, an important feeling to have actually though, that, that feeling of feeling like maybe I'm the odd one out here. Mm. Um, and back to our conversation about people, like being around other people. <laughs> How we can like learn and grow is about being in situations with other people and witnessing things that maybe are foreign or uncomfortable or new or different to us. And that's so, such a large part of like how I approach my work and um, the kind of people that I want to play, what kind of characters I want to be and explore and how I want to explore them. What you said really resonates with me because I think that's how I approach a lot of my work is sort of being completely in it, but also like stepping out and analyzing it from a place of being like the other in the situation. So totally. When you think about sort of the future, or we could say like even on the other side of a pandemic or just like the big, broad, huge future, do you feel like there are things personally and creatively that you are excited about or that you are looking forward to or that you are scared of or like what does that or are are you somebody who is like I just sort of try to keep in the present and stay and you know receive things as they come um I've been really interested lately in trying to have more Asian stories and Asian voices out Mm -hmm. there um whether that's supporting the work that is there and that's that's being made and the people who are making it um but also like looking at all of these stories about you know the incredible asian men and women who have who have helped build this country also 
And um, Over the Moon was such a powerful experience to be a part of because it was the first time that I got to play a character who was specifically written as a Chinese woman mm-hmm. and who is not only just a Chinese woman, but uh, like a famous Chinese goddess that is well known throughout Asian culture, but then to be a part of this incredible all Asian cast telling this great story about a young Chinese girl and getting to see her world and her um, growth and development through her eyes um, was so powerful and and um, you know to feel seen in that way to feel. Uh, acknowledged and recognized and um, to be able to share that with other people and not only share it, but people are like, oh yeah, I I relate to that. Um, I'm not Asian, but like what a beautiful story Mm -hmm. about loss and growth and learning how to love new people. And so I I want to do more of that in the future. Oh, I'm so happy to talk to you, Pippa. You too. Since I spoke with Pippa, I keep thinking about what she said about time and how so often it feels like we aren't in control of it. And I do think that sometimes that's true. But I'm beginning to think that even inside of the most chaotic or overwhelming moments, we have more control than we think. And for me, when I'm feeling especially isolated or lonely, it can feel hard to reach out or reconnect with the people who bring you joy but I'm realizing it works. It works almost every time. And it makes me feel seen and validated and less alone. So I'm just going to really encourage you to make the choice to reach out instead of living inside of your own head and tail spinning into darkness as I have so many times. I am so grateful you're here with me. This is the weekly roundup for this episode. The first is a book called The Art of Gathering. It's by Priya Parker, and she's a biracial facilitator and author. And she's trying to get us to think about how to create meaningful and memorable experiences. She talks about how a gathering can be three people, it can be 150 people, it can be for work, it can be for your birthday party. And she just talks about what it means to gather people so that they feel both directed and comfortable And it really made me think about how to be a better host, I think both in my personal life and at work. It's just a really interesting take on gatherings. The next is an interactive website called Death Over Dinner, and it provides prompts and a toolkit for how to gather the people that you love and have the seemingly difficult conversation about your own death. And I know this sounds a little bit dark, but I feel like death is one of the only things that is inevitable in our life. And our language around it is so clumsy and inadequate. And having a resource like this feels really, really helpful. And then finally, one of my favorite podcasts is called What Next? It's hosted by Mary Harris. And she has a really good episode called Why the Atlanta Shooting is So Hard to Talk About. In the episode, she covers what happened to the eight people who were gunned down in the Atlanta massage parlors last week and how it can be understood as an expression of hate aimed primarily at Asian people, primarily women. 
But she also explores how it seems to be a story about the dark side of religion and a story about guns in America and just how delicate all of that is to unravel. And I just want to add that I've been thinking a lot about my relationship to the reports of anti-Asian violence this past year and why it took this mass shooting for me to really wake up. So I've been doing a lot of reading and listening, and I've linked some great articles that I found that explore the AAPI history in our country and how Hollywood is complicit in our biases and where we can sign up for bystander training and places to donate. You can find links to all of these in the show notes. I can't wait for the next episode. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. This week's episode was recorded in New York on the lands of the Mohican and Lenape peoples. Sunday Pancakes is produced by me and Rachel Sussman of Plate Spinner Productions with editing and engineering by Tim Kashani and Ali Rice of Apples and Oranges Arts. The theme music is by Gavin Creel. Special thanks this week to John Conley, Susan Blackwell, and Laura Camion. Sunday Pancakes is distributed by Playbill.